Well, good evening, everyone, and thank you for taking the time to watch and listen today. I'm joined by the Minister for Health and Social Care, David Ashford, Minister for Education, Sport and Culture, Dr Alex Allenson, and on Zoom by our Director of Public Health, Dr Henrietta Hewitt. Without further ado, I would like to hand over to Minister Ashford for the latest figures and an update on our vaccination programme. David. Thank you, Chief Minister. The total number of tests undertaken now stands at 30,840. The total number of tests concluded stands at 30,837, meaning we are outstanding three results. The total number of new cases identified in the last 24 hours is five. So another five positive cases. Um, well, the, those consist of a crew member from the steam packet who was picked up with one of the screening swabs yesterday. Further screening swabs have been conducted today for the steam packet crew and arrangements made for these to continue. The other four cases identified are one close contact and three children and all are close contacts of existing cases. So there is nothing in these results that can't be explained. We have anticipated that we would find further cases amongst close contacts. That is to be expected in the contact tracing process as we go forward. So contact tracing continues and we await the results of further tests. This means our active number of cases now is at 15 and the total number of cases overall at 449. I also want to just give a brief update on two aspects of the vaccination programme. Firstly, in relation to those who are housebound. The community vaccination team are observing that a large proportion of patients that they visit to give the vaccine to are turning out not to be genuinely housebound. The more, uh, more non-housebound patients we go to see, the longer that the housebound vaccination programme will take, leaving at risk those who genuinely can't leave home to receive the vaccine. If people have previously registered for a housebound vaccination but feel they could get to the hub at the airport or Chester Street, either with the assistance of family or friends or via patient transport services, please do contact 111 to amend your registration. If patients have registered for a home vaccination on the basis they are housebound, the team are in the process of booking these appointments. If you have previously registered for a home visit, you don't need to follow this up. The team will be in touch to confirm. The team are operating five days a week and moving across most areas of the island over a five-day period. But it is important that only those who are genuinely housebound book to be vaccinated at home, as otherwise we delay the vaccination process for those who genuinely are. The second aspect I'd like to touch on is around those with learning disabilities. Under the JCVI schedule, people with learning disabilities are due for vaccination at two different points in the rollout. People with Down syndrome have been placed in priority group four, a category which includes those who are clinically extremely vulnerable. Adults with severe or profound learning disability are in priority group six, which captures people aged between 16 and 65 who are clinically vulnerable. Residents with a learning disability and users of the learning disability services who don't fall within other priority groups are called upon on the basis of their age. We have been reviewing this here on Ireland and decided that due to the numbers involved, that, in, that on Ireland, those who have a learning disability or who are learning disability service users can all be done as part of priority group four, rather than splitting between two different priority groups. 
For this group, we will use Greenfield Park, Tall Trees Day Services Complex as a vaccination hub to ensure these individuals can be vaccinated in what for many will be familiar surroundings. This makes more logistical sense for us and ensures that all of this group can be done at the same time and the vaccinations for these groups will be done over three days in late March. Thank you, Chief Minister. Thanks very much, David. Now, the Council of Ministers met this morning and were presented with these latest figures and details surrounding each new case. The situation remains very similar to yesterday. All Isle of Man cases that have been identified are believed to be linked to a single chain of transmission, making up a single cluster. As I've said yesterday, these are early days, but it is encouraging that we have had no surprises in terms of cases identified so far. Taking this into account and acting on the advice from public health and officers, the Council of Ministers determined that, for now, there remained no need to bring in restrictions to island life. We will, of course, continue to closely monitor the situation and any developments as and when they arise. Our decision is in line with our outbreak management plan and reflects the moderate level of risk posed to our community at the present time. I will, of course, keep you updated over the weekend should anything unexpected appear and whether that may require us to change our approach. Since the index case was identified, our contact tracing team have been working hard at identifying close contacts who may be at risk of contracting COVID-19. Isolation and testing is only one part of this process. Building up a detailed picture of people that at-risk contacts have, in, have interacted with, places they have visited, how long they were there for and what activities they undertook can be a time-consuming and complex process but a very important one and one we must get right. From the seven cases announced yesterday, our contact tracing team were able to identify a number of locations that posed low levels of risk to the public of contracting COVID-19. If they were there within very specific timeframes, and this list was published this morning. You'll recall that we have done this before, back at the end of December and the beginning of January. We are following the exact same protocols here. With all of the locations of interest, we have published being deemed low risk. There is no cause for undue concern and no action um, will be needed for the public to take. The only reason we issue these lists is to encourage extra vigilance. I've spoken of the role behaviour has to play in the fight against COVID-19. By publishing low-risk locations, we can encourage those who are at venues at specific times to be particularly aware of the signs and symptoms of COVID-19. It can be all too easy to dismiss things. It's only a sniffle, or it won't happen to me, or I'm just making a nuisance of myself. I've said before and do so again, we would rather be safe than sorry. If you have COVID-like symptoms, please call 111 for advice. If you are at the locations we have listed at the time specified, then all the more reason to do so if you're showing signs. A full list of the locations, dates and times are available on gov.im, our social media feeds, and they'll be displayed at the end of today's briefing. When we identify low-risk locations, we contact the affected businesses and organisations. 
Some choose to put in place restrictions or even close for a time, perhaps to carry out deep cleans. These decisions are a matter for each organisation. So I want the message to be clear. Every location we have published does not pose a significant risk and these businesses and organisations can continue to trade or operate as normal should they wish. If they do not, I of course respect that decision. Two further low-risk locations we announced earlier this afternoon and I would like to hand over to Minister Allenson to, to talk a little bit more about these. Alex. Thank you, Chief Minister. Contract tracing has identified two educational settings that could pose a low risk of infection for a small number of school pupils, one at a school and one on a school bus. Both areas of interest occurred on Friday the 12th of February, the final day before half term. They involved the number 31 bus from 8 to 8.45 in the morning and from 3.45 to 4.15 that afternoon and Balakameen High School from 8.45am to 3.45pm. As part of the contact tracing process, a small number of pupils have been identified who might be at risk. They've all been contacted personally and are self-isolating along with other members of their households. All have been offered tests. We are working closely with the school's head teacher, Mrs Burnett, and I would like to thank her and her colleagues for all their help and assistance. I'm also grateful to the contact tracing team for the sensitive way they've handled this delicate situation involving children, the advice they've shared and the measures they have put in place. We will keep the situation under review whilst all contact tracing is completed. At the present time, Balakameen and all other schools will open as normal on Monday. Should the situation change over the weekend, we will make further announcements as early as possible. I would like to reassure pupils, parents and all school staff that all the appropriate steps are being taken to ensure the safety of them and their families when schools reopen as planned. But we must remain vigilant. If any pupil exhibits any of the COVID-19 symptoms, please make sure they stay at home, that they don't attend school and that they arrange for a test immediately by phoning 111. Thank you, Chief Minister. Thank you very much, Alex. I know this may cause concern, but please remember that the risk is low. As with the other low-risk locations, we are only making this announcement so that those at Balakameen or on the number 31 bus last Friday can be extra vigilant for signs and symptoms of COVID. In terms of locations that pose a higher risk, we have identified a small number. However, we've been able to trace and make contact with everyone who we believe may be affected. Because of this, thanks to the excellent work of our contact tracing team, we have not had to issue an, an appeal asking people who visited these venues at the particular times to come forward and make themselves known. Dr Ewart, could I perhaps invite you to talk a little bit more about this cluster and also the European Centre for Disease Control's guidelines in relation to low and high risk locations and the protocols that we use. Thank you, Chief Minister. Yes, as you've said, we can be increasingly confident that we are looking at one single cluster here with distinct lines of transmission, which we are following down and are containing. Uh, reason for cautious optimism on that is that time is now going on. It's 10 days since the 
date when the index case here on Ireland became infected. And it's a week today since, for example, um, the positive contacts who were in school were in school. So the chances of further cases emerging now are gradually going down because obviously we're getting through what would have been the incubation period and we would have expected those cases to have emerged by now. Likewise, if there had been any sort of leakage beyond those transmission chains out into the wider community, we would also expect to have been seeing that by now. So all of that is reasons for cautious optimism. Um, in terms of managing this cluster, one of the interesting features has been that obviously it includes um, positive cases who are actually UK based. So I just wanted to note for, for people's information, really, that the public health team here is working with Public Health England and the Lancashire Local Authority Public Health team um, to make sure everything is appropriately integrated in terms of sharing what we know and what they know and identifying whether any further actions need to come from that. Um, now, in terms of the uh, contact tracing protocols, as Chief Minister just mentioned, we follow the European Centre for Disease Control protocols. And if anybody is interested, if you just Google ECDC COVID contact tracing protocols, you'll be able to, to access the documents. Those contain a framework of guidance, really, um, and I'll call it that, um, and you'll see why as I, I, I explain, which are really based on issues like how long a contact lasted for, what the nature of that contact was, was it face-to-face, -face, was it not, was um, protective equipment, equipment involved, was it not, was it indoors, was it outdoors, etc., etc. But all of those things are to an extent arbitrary. And this is where the experience of our contact tracing team is absolutely fundamental because they are very good at getting below the headline of what the contact might have been to really understand the dynamics in that and also the behaviours. And that is absolutely fundamental to really getting a grip on the trains of transmission and understanding where we need to focus our efforts. So to give an example, just for illustration, um, a positive case spending time in a pub is always a red flag for us. It's potentially a super spreader event. It's something that we really do want to understand, particularly at this time of year where, you know, it's likely to be a crowded indoor venue. It's likely to be hot, unventilated. People are likely to be shouting, potentially moving around between groups, etc. And it really is a risk factor for a super spreader event. However, the behaviour of the positive case is really key to that. So if it's somebody who went to the pub on their own, bought a pint, sat in a corner, not talking to anybody else, nursed the pint for an hour or two and then went home, that is actually quite a low risk. If, on the other hand, they are somebody who is life and soul of the party, was interacting with everybody in that pub, joining the karaoke, having you know multiple contacts with multiple people then that is very much higher risk so this is where the hard work of contact tracing comes in because it can take time to actually tease that out so i really just want to, to sort of put, say that just to underline how dependent on we are we are on the skills of our contact tracing team to really help us understand what's going on in these clusters and transmission chains and help us to get to grips with them thank you
And thank you very much, Dr Ewart, and I hope that provides some context and reassurance to you. Before turning to today's questions from the media, I want to address the issue of the isolation rules for Isle of Man-based steam packet crew members who travel on board vessels between the island and the United Kingdom. It's clear that there has been a difference of opinion surrounding the expectations of what is required. Government's position is clear. The steam packet has been issued with a key worker entry certificate for both Isle of Man and UK-based crews. This provides an exemption to our coronavirus regulations that enables crew on board steam packet vessels to travel to and from the island to keep our vital sea routes functioning. In doing so, however, it also sets out clear conditions which are in place to protect our community and limit the risk of COVID-19 spreading to our island. The conditions apply only to the crew and not to other members of their household, so children can continue to go to school, for example. This is on the basis that the crew wear PPE during their shift and follow other safety protocols. The entry certificate issued to the steam packet makes clear that the conditions are set out and must be adhered to. The first and most important condition is modified self-isolation. This allows steam packet crew to travel directly between the vessel and their accommodation, but must isolate outside of work and so cannot attend pubs or restaurants, for example. Face coverings must be worn when travelling between work and their place of isolation. Now, there are investigations underway and these need to be completed. Officers from government and the steam packet have discussed the matter and are due to meet shortly on the way to discuss the way forward. What I can say is that over the last year, the steam packet have managed to operate its services for our island in a safe way. This has been achieved by working in partnership with us and we will continue to be and will continue to be the case. We have a difficult balance to achieve, but I'm confident that together we can find a solution. They remain a lifeline to our island and so of course we want to work with them to resolve this issue as swiftly as possible. And now to questions from the media. And first, we have Josh Stokes from ITV Granada. Good afternoon, Josh. Faster my. Good afternoon. Uh, following on from queries around the Steam Packet Company, we've been told on good authority that crew members have not been made aware that they had to self-isolate on arrival. Do you have an idea of how many crew members you think have been adhering to this modified self-isolation? Well, I've asked office, officers obviously to investigate this, Josh, so I'm afraid until the, the investigation has been carried out, I, I, I can't give you any, any further details on that. Okay, just to follow on from that, there does seem to be some communication breakdown causing the confusion. Surely if crews were supposed to be in some form of self-isolation, they would have presumably been included in the travel notification service isolation checks and therefore checked on at least once over the last 11 months. Why do you think it's taken this long to identify this issue? Well, as I say, our officers are, are absolutely clear that in, in their mind what should have been happening, but they're having discussions with the um, steam packet, I'm having it investigated, and therefore until I've got the results, I can't really comment on, on what's been going on. Okay, my uh, second question, given these new cases that have arised, is there any update on how long you think it will take before we can confidently say that this cluster has been controlled in some way and the risk of lockdown becomes unlikely? Well, I, I think 
it, it will probably um, be Monday, Tuesday to get a, a much clearer picture. I don't know if David or Dr. Ewart, you want to um, give an opinion? Yeah, I'll bring the Director of Public Health in uh, for, in a moment, if I may, Chief Minister. Um, the Chief Minister is quite correct, Josh. It will probably take through the weekend with extended contact tracing um, to make absolutely sure that we feel we've managed to contain things. Um, as we know, viruses can be tricky things. Um, at the moment, um, as the Director of Public Health has said in her piece, as the timeline stretches out, it looks more and more promising because we're moving through the potential incubation period. As I said in my remarks, we found nothing that was unexpected at the moment, um, but we, we need to be still cautious. And I still say to the general public they need to be vigilant at this stage, um, But all, even although we are not recommending at the moment that any action needs to be taken. And with that, I'll pass to the Director of Public Health. Thank you, Minister. Um, yes, as we've said in previous um, clusters, the um, point at which we can generally assume that the chains of transmission have ended is when we get to 14 days since the last positive test. Um, we can be assured that the incident is fully closed once we get to 28 days, which is two times the incubation period. So we're beginning to get towards that point. And as I said earlier, the fact that we're not seeing any further spread beyond these transmission chains in this cluster is all you know, reasons for optimism. Thank you. Thanks very much, Josh. OK, next we have Rob Pritchard from 3FM. Good afternoon, Rob. Faster my. Good afternoon, Chief Minister. My first question probably for Dr Ewart. In any of the new cases identified, have they picked up any of the Kent or South African variants? We won't get the genomic sequencing back for about a week, so we'll start to see that soon. I would actually suspect that it is going to be Kent variant. And the reason for that is Kent variant is now the dominant strain across the UK. So that would be, you know, the default position. The other reason for um, suspecting that that's going to be the case is that we seem to be seeing a short interval between the exposure and onset of symptoms shorter than we've seen before. And that's a bit anecdotal, a bit, you know, a feeling rather than um, strongly linked to published data. But colleagues have observed similar things elsewhere in the UK and colleagues in the Channel Islands. So that and the fact that we know Kent variants predominant now makes me expect that that is what we'll see when we get the sequencing back. Okay, Rob, your next question. Thank you, Mike. Second question is for the Education Minister, please. Okay. Thank you. Good afternoon, Minister. Um, afternoon. Could you just give us a bit more detail on how you're actually advising schools, given that the situation could change in a very short space of time? Yes, I mean, I think we have to be clear that we're dealing with one school at the moment. Contact tracing have followed uh, an infection in a young person. What they've then done is gone back 48 hours and we've identified a window of possible infection on Friday, the, the, the last day before half term. Once we've identified that, we've been obviously working with the, the staff of that school, reassuring them about their own safety, but also looking at any contacts that one individual may have had within the class environment then deal with them, um, ask them to, to self-isolate, 
test them as well. And so gradually um, the picture will emerge as to whether they have been at risk of spreading the infection to other people on that last day of, of, of term. No other schools are implicated in this at the present time, but what we are saying is obviously if, if your child does develop any COVID-19 symptoms, please do get them tested. If they're unwell in any way, don't send them to school, and we've been reiterating that advice since we started the, the, this academic year. Thank you. Thanks very much, Rob. And now we move to Manx Radio and Tim Glover. Good afternoon, Tim. Fast am I. Pastor May, just want to clear up on uh, a question that we've got through regarding the reliability of uh, early tests, because there's a large number obviously being tested, there's a lot of negative tests, so here early on. Are they then free to go out into the public or, or do, they, do they still self-isolate and why are they not being treated the same as returning residents? Could you explain why um, returning residents? Because... We, well, they do the 14 days with tests or 21 days, don't they? Well, well they do too, but uh, Dr Ewart, do you want to come in on, on, on that? Yes. Um, first of all, um, how confident can we be from the testing? I think kind of implicit in your question there, or maybe I'm just over-crediting the um, knowledge of the questioner, is that it's possible to be incubating um, COVID and have a negative test and then go on to be positive. Um, now, that is absolutely the case, and that is why when we have high-risk contacts, they are required to self-isolate for 21 days, which can be reduced to 14, subject to three negative tests. Now, we also do, and you'll remember we did this in the 1886 context, back at um, Christmas and New Year, what we call surveillance testing. And we do that when the time frame indicates that if we do some wider testing beyond just the high-risk contacts, we should get a reasonable yield of any positives that might be out there. Now, if the positive case was, say, identified only a day or two before the time we're talking about, then surveillance testing at that point is not of much use because people who were infected one day, two days ago may very well not yet be shedding virus. So it would give us false reassurance. In this case, as was the case with the 1886 scenario, it's a week or it was a week on Wednesday since the fixed point where we know the index case here became infected. So doing surveillance testing on the rest of the shift members who were working with that person was actually worth doing. Obviously, the high risk contacts were self-isolated and followed up with the usual requirements. But the surveillance testing was also done as an adjunct to actually do a sort of wider sweep and see if there was anything that had got out further. That's particularly important in a context like this, because the index case that we first identified might actually have caught the infection from somebody else that was on the shift who had remained asymptomatic and who we didn't know about. So that's why we took a wider view there. Um, but all those who were identified in the usual course of things as high-risk contacts were managed in the usual way. Thank you. OK, thank you, Dr Hewitt, for that. Your next question, Tim. Yes, uh, just from uh, one of our listeners, the government's identified the low-risk cluster in December, which uh, is being referred to as 1886 cluster. 
and it was classed as community transmission. Uh, The current cluster is being considered as low risk. Uh, They're asking, though, because we've got a similar number of cases, uh, why we're not encouraging mask wearing in the shops, public transport, etc., social distancing to prevent another lockdown. Can we get an explanation of the risk between what was the situation uh, earlier in the year and the one now? Um, I mean, for example, Perth had one case and went into a five-day lockdown. Okay, I think really, Dr. Ewart, as our public health um, director, I'd, I'll let you take that one again. Thank you. Yes, I mean, context is everything in judging what one might do in these scenarios. I'm not quite sure why you said that the 1886 cluster was regarded as community transmission because it wasn't. I know there was quite a lot of um, discussion on social media for uh, that surely it must be community because 1886 is a community, but actually it wasn't. It was still identified chains of transmission, um, so exactly similar to this. Issues in Australia, often when they get cases in the community, and again, if you get a sporadic case in the community that you can't link back, that's when you want to go in hard and you want to go in fast. Um, That's not the case here. We haven't had sporadic cases turning up in the community, and therefore we're not taking that lockdown approach. Um, Another parallel would be Guernsey, where obviously they had a number of cases that suddenly emerged, again, with no clear line of transmission from an identified travel-related case. So context is everything. That's why it's so important to understand what the context is and get beneath, you know, the headline facts to understand what's going on and what might or might not be an appropriate response to it. Thank you. I think, David, you want to uh, add something too? Yeah, just for clarity, I think people are getting their timelines confused as well, Tim, as you mentioned there about masks and social distancing. In relation to what we're calling the 1886 cluster, we didn't recommend masks and we didn't bring in social distancing. That was in relation to the later issue in January where we saw what at the time were believed to be a couple of sporadic cases where we couldn't trace back coming forward. We didn't recommend that with the 1886 cluster and this is no different to that. I think they were just saying to avoid the lockdown rather than linking with the 1886. Yeah, I think it's, you know, we need to make sure that reading from people's comments, Tim, we have to make sure they're factually correct before we we have a discussion here. Um, But I think you've you've been given a good answer to the, the concerns that people may have. Right, now we move on to Alex Bell from BBC Isle of Man. Good afternoon, Alex. Fast am I. Hello there. Um, Just to drill into this steam packet issue, I'm wondering, do you know how many Isle of Man based steam packet staff are at any one time expected to stay in this state of modified self-isolation? It's not something I have the exact number with me at the moment, Alex. I know I've had members of the public who are following these rules because of their modified um, um, rules and regulations that they have to follow who are are very disappointed about the situation but i I can't get you the figures um i'll i'll try and circulate that to you um i'm I'm more than happy to to find out and and circulate that to you alex sorry i can't help though it's okay it would be just useful to know whether the manx government believes that ferry crews can be expected to live in this sort of near constant state i guess of quarantine well i suppose at shift work 
Um, you do so many weeks on, so many weeks off. And we had been looking at, 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 at ways to, to help those families that were impacted. But as I say, there's an investigation going on, Alex, and I think it's, it's unfair to try and prejudge until we, we've got the full details. So obviously when that ha has been done, then obviously we'll be, uh, it'll, it'll be reported. When can we expect the results of this investigation? That I, I, I can't say. I know officers are, are meeting early next week with um, the, the team at the Steam Packet to look at ways to resolve this situation. So as soon as we have something, of course, we'll share it with you all. Thank you. And just, just to move on there, um, the Lancet Journal is now among a growing number of publications saying with more certainty on a post hoc basis that a longer dose between Oxford jabs results in higher efficacy. What will it take for the Manx government to follow the science here? Well, I know our team are reviewing this, Alex, at this moment in time. We've always said we would be, um, you, know, you know, the data would have to be peer-reviewed. Um, just publishing a paper doesn't mean to say that it's right. Now, if it turns out to be correct, um, I'm sure we will be moved, or we will move on this position. But we have asked our medics to look at the data. They're having regular meetings along with Dr. Hewitt to discuss this. And if the data says yes, then of course we'll move. But I think I'll bring in David and then Dr. Hewitt, who are living and breathing this. Yeah, thank you, Chief Minister. It has been, as I've said at previous briefings, being looked at by the Clinical Advisory Group. They met yesterday. It has been considered. Um, and I should be able to make an announcement early, early next week. Um, where I'll make a formal announcement whether we are extending the dosing. One of the things we do have to be cautious about is just to point out that the paper doesn't actually say that doing the dose at 21 to 28 days is wrong because the paper did not look mm -hmm. at that. They did not follow long-term or compare different dosing trends. And, in fact, it's quite interesting you raise about the Lancet paper again, Alex, and also the new paper that's come forward as well today in relation to FIFSA because um, this morning... Um, I, on BBC Radio 4 was Professor Finn of the University of Bristol who actually said we have to have caution about whether the vaccine reduces transmission if the longer dose works because he was talking about um, the type of people that have been involved in this study. So we do still have to have caution on that but it's just to point out it's not saying there's anything wrong with doing the 21 to 28 days. It's simply stating that if you leave it longer there's no adverse reaction um, which is what the paper was looking at if what the UK was doing was actually going to damage the first dose. But I'll bring in the Director of Public Health if there's anything further she wishes to add, but I can make a public announcement early next week on what position the island's going to be remaining with. Thank you, Minister. I mean, just to, to summarise, there are three reasons one might, might want to move from the dosage interval that were included in the clinical studies that led to the authorisation of the vaccine. And bear in mind that we're only talking about Oxford AstraZeneca in this context. Um, and those are, one, that you have very, very high levels of infection and therefore your overriding um, concern is to get some protection for as many of your vulnerable populations as possible. Two, that you're concerned about consistency of supply lines and supply chains for enabling you to do the two doses of the vaccine. And three, that evidence is accruing that there may be a benefit 
rather than a neutrality in terms of extending the dosage interval. So all of those things have to be taken into account here. For us, clearly, we don't have high levels of circulating infection at the moment. So that is not a current driver, but we always have to be mindful that we are only as COVID safe as the last person across the border, as we frequently say, and that situation could change. Supply, as we know, is always you know something that could become an issue. And as the minister has said, the emerging evidence from the still to be peer reviewed studies indicates that there appears to be no detriment from extending the dosage interval if you are taking the view that you need to do that. Okay, thank you. Yeah, I think it's safe to say, uh, Alex, that when we feel it's right to do it for the safety of Ireland residents, we will and we'll move as quickly as we can on that. So we're not saying no, we're just saying, you know, hopefully early next week we can announce what we're going to do. It wasn't, if you all remember, it wasn't that long ago, you were asking me questions about whether the, if you gave the vaccine too far apart, was it so diluted that it wouldn't work and then for you were wasting the vaccine. So as we go along, the whole world is learning from this illness and the various vaccines that we're using. And, and things will change, I'm sure, um, on a daily, weekly and monthly basis as, as we go forward. But we will always advise you on what, you know, with those decisions. But as I say, the health minister has advised you early next week, you'll get your answer on that. Right. Thanks very much, Alex. We now move on to Sam Turton from Jeff. Good afternoon, Sam. Faster my. Faster my, Chief Minister. I regrettably will be coming back to the steam packet on this. We... If I go back, though, to last uh, Tuesday's House of Keys, where Mr Robertshaw asked you about whether you were keeping the back window open, you said you'd been down to check the security of the ferries yourself on an unannounced visit, and everything was as was you were told. With that in case, then, I'm still lost as to where this investigation is going to go. Were you told the wrong thing, or were the steam packet told the wrong thing? Because somewhere it seems that there's been a big breakdown in communication, which could have put us put the island at risk here. No, when I went down to the steam packet, Sam, it was to look at whether the um, notices to people coming off the boat um, were, were being properly adhered to. Um, so that was people travelling to the island who'd been away. Obviously, I can't, you know, I can't go on the boat to check that um, all the uh, steam packet staff are wearing PPE equipment throughout the journey. Um, that's that's one of the rules and regulations, and, and obviously. Um, staff um, self-isolating at home is obviously something I can't, I can't check. So I purely went down to make sure that people were being advised properly, and I'm delighted to say they were being advised properly by staff who were handing out um, notices and giving advice on what you had to do when you came back to the island. So just for clarification. Also, I think it's it's been widely misreported, and um, you never let the facts get in the way of a good story. I clearly said to Mr. Robertshaw at the time, I, I shared his concerns regarding um, vaccinations and, and our borders, and that I would ask our officer team to look into um, whether we needed to change our, our current policy on, on making the vaccine available to the steam packet. We asked our officers to review that decision, and the Council of Ministers based uh, you know, having received a paper, decided to make that. So there was no U-turns, as, as some people have put on their, their their sites. If they follow the clearly follow the Hansard, which is um, I, I would hope you would all do, um, to see what was actually said. You know, we we it was said we agreed with Mr. Robertshaw and that we would look into the concerns 
we and, and we therefore once we'd had the report changed but as i say i wasn't talking about the inspections of whether the staff were wearing ppe on the ship or whether they were self-isolating it, it was the information given out to our travelers happy to set the record straight thank you uh, and secondly in terms of vaccines uh Minister Ashford, if we did move to a longer period between the first and second dose, what would do that? Uh, what would that do regarding the target for the end of May for the first priority cases? So in terms of it, actually, it doesn't change the delivery schedule that much. Um, we've had it all plotted out. And in terms of the entire vaccination programme right through to September, I think it's a two-week impact. So it pushes it back two weeks. Um, in relation to the initial priority groups, it would, of course, mean their first dose would become a lot earlier and we'd be able to speed up first doses because you wouldn't hold as much in stock as we currently are. We wouldn't need to reserve the second doses in the way that we are currently. Um, but it would have very little impact on the timescales. We would still be looking at having the over 50 cohort end of May. The maximum impact would be about 14 full days. And that's maximum impact. Thank you. Okay, thanks very much, Sam. Now we move on to Simon Richardson from Business 365. Good afternoon, Simon. Faster my. Good afternoon, gentlemen. My first question is for the Health Minister, please. Um, the vaccination programme is continuing, um, and I think you've now vaccinated over uh, 15,000 people. As you move through the age categories or down the age categories, have you come up against any uh, firm resistance from people opposed to vaccines and have any been specific in demanding one particular vaccine over another? So in terms of the vaccination programme, Simon, um, we're actually over 17,000 delivered now, um, 12,467 first doses and 4,683 second doses as the most recent figures I have here now in front of me. Um, in terms of resistance to vaccines, I'm happy to say we've got a very high take-up around vaccination. There will always be people who are concerned and may want to leave it and wait. Um, we have had people inquiring about getting a specific vaccine, but they are few in number. I think people understand that they can't pick and choose which vaccination they have unless there is a very good medical reason for them to be doing so. Um, so, for instance, I can say to you in terms of take-up at the moment or in terms of actual delivery, um, for residents in care homes and older adults and their carers, we've now vaccinated 86 0.3% of that group. All those over 80s, we've done 79% of the maximum number of people there could be. And in the 75 to 80 group, we're now at 76%. So that in itself shows that it's, going, it's a very, very big take-up. How is the supply of vaccine at the moment? Are we getting sufficient for you to keep to the schedules? Yeah, so the supply is exactly what we've expected. Um, we did have some bumps, of course, in relation to FIFSA, which I've explained at this briefing before, when FIFSA was doing the work on their Belgian plant to up production. Those bumps seem to have levelled out now, and we are receiving the stock in that we would expect, and we are receiving the 0.13% of the UK stock that we would expect. Thank you. Thanks very much, Simon. Next, we move on is Paul Moulton from Alaman Television. Good afternoon, Paul. Fast am I. Good afternoon. Uh, for Dave Ashford, I think, really, you brought up the business about the CPAC and another positive case. Can you give us a bit more on that? Because is it related to the other one? And, uh, you know, does everyone that works with that person also now have to self-isolate or are they carrying working, albeit in PPE? 
Can you right. get some more? Yes, I can. I can, Paul. So I believe they're on the same shift pattern as the previous worker, is my understanding. Um, they came up via the surveillance testing, which is exactly why we've done the surveillance testing. Um, they will now be isolated along with anyone else in their household and also close contacts, um, close high-risk contacts have also been contacted and made to self-isolate. Um, there are, there are, you know, the way the system works within the steam packet, people aren't mixing as much as, uh, you know, that much so there isn't a large amount of high-risk contacts that have come off the back of that case but they will be treated in exactly the same way contact tracing will be undertaken and anyone who's deemed high risk will be isolated and i'll pass over to director of public health in case she wants to add anything yes i think you've described it very very clearly um minister that's exactly the situation thank you um it's just that um Obviously, the, over the nine months or so, according to a work on the steam packet, there have been quite a few cases, although only one in our man terms has been registered. This is a concern, and you've had a meeting this morning with the steam packet. What went on? Have you come up with some new protocols? Um, my understanding is the, the meeting with the steam packet is next, the formal meeting is mm. next week. Oh, you didn't meet today? I thought you said you were having talks. My, my understanding is the formal meeting's next week. Um, so, uh, unless the public with... health can correct me on that. No, that's correct. We've been in discussion with them, but the actual meeting to really try and sort all of these protocols, etc., out is next week. So just to clear this thing, are people having to self-isolate or not? I mean, they can't go into three weeks self-isolation. Are things carrying on as they were before, which could be a breach of the COVID regulations, couldn't they? Well, what, what I would say to that, Paul, if I, uh, if I may, is the entry certificate that is issued to the steam packet is very clear. Um, got it here in front of me. Uh, the entry certificate is what should be being worked to. You're happy? I, I think it, it was put in place for the protection of the island and I believe it's an appropriate measure. Okay. Thanks very much, Paul. Now, last but not least, we have Helen McKenna from Alaman Newspapers. Good afternoon, Helen. Fast am I. I think it's good evening now because it's, yeah. it's quite, good evening ministers um so my first question is about what is the criteria for low risk locations right well I, I as I'm not an expert on that I'll pass over straight away to Dr Hewitt yes it would be a location where people have been where a positive case has been present but they don't meet the criteria for a close contact. So as I said, that uses as its framework the ECDC protocols and the close contacts are defined in terms of how long they spent in close contact with the case, what the nature of that contact was, were they face-to-face, -face, were they talking, um, were they in a, a confined space, etc., etc. So once we've identified the close contacts, and again, the pub example is, is quite a good one to run on this. If you're in the pub as a positive case with a group of mates, you're sat around a table, you're all chatting and talking to each other, but you don't circulate with anybody else, then that group that was around the table would be high risk contacts. Everybody else would be regarded as low risk and we would just notify the venue as a venue of interest and ask the rest of the people there to be aware that they were there at the time and to be vigilant about reporting symptoms should they develop them. Okay, thank you. My second question is for the Education Minister, please. Good evening. Good evening. Um, so firstly, how many children in Balakamine High School are currently isolating? Okay. We, at the moment, I understand that we've got about 10 families. 
um, self-isolating there, um, on top of obviously the, the index case that we're concerned about. These are close friends of, of, of the person, they're people in the same class, and we've got ongoing um, testing. And so far, I'm happy to say that those tests have come back negative, but we will be following this up because obviously in a school environment, it's very, very important that we guarantee the safety both to those pupils, their families, but also staff. Just as a follow-up question, um, how soon were the families notified once they found out? They, they were notified straight away. I mean, what the contact tracing team have been doing is, is textbook contact tracing. We've got a positive case. We've then looked at the household um, and tried to see whether that has spread throughout the household. Unfortunately, it has spread to, to a young, young person. And so we've then gone back in time um, to see it, when they could possibly have developed um, the, the, the infection. What we've then isolated is one day, the Friday, the last day before half term, where it is technically possible that they could be infected, although at that time they had no symptoms at all, neither did any of their family members. So we've then looked at them, we've then looked at very close contacts, as Dr Ewart has described, to try to narrow down any further risk from, there, from then on. So it is true detective work in this stage, but we're confident that we're doing all the right things, we're meeting all the right people, liaising with them very, very quickly. And also, I'd, I'd like to say, as I said um, previously, the contact tracing team have been dealing with this extremely sensitively because we're talking about young people. We, we, we have to try to put ourselves in the situation of some of these families. They didn't want to get COVID. They certainly didn't want to spread COVID to, to either friends or family. So we, we're working with them very carefully to look after their own health but also obviously do that in a very sympathetic and sensitive way thank you thanks very much helen and thank you all for those questions and just on the last point helen obviously we've said this is a low risk it's not high risk but because it's always best to make people even more vigilant than normal if, if your child or your a family friend was at any of the locations and they are exhibiting symptoms of COVID, then please don't take it for granted that it's just a cold. Ring 111. I think that's really important. It is low risk, but we're just trying to be extra vigilant in, in certain locations. So again, thank you all very much for the questions. At the moment, it is not my intention to hold a briefing tomorrow unless the situation changes significantly. We may see more cases with a clear link to existing ones over the weekend. The Council of Ministers will continue to closely monitor the situation and will meet as and when required. If there is a material change, I will, of course, keep you updated. Thank you all, everyone. Enjoy your weekend. Bye-bye.